Hello, and welcome to The Real Writing Process. I'm your host, Tom Pepperdine, and on this episode, my guest is Max Turner. Max is a short story writer of speculative fiction. His published stories have covered genres such as science fiction, fantasy, furry fiction, horror, and LGBTQ plus fiction. This interview took place in early October 2021, and in a break from my usual introduction, I need to make some disclaimers. First of all, Max and I are old friends. We hadn't seen each other in a while, and we began drinking a little bit before I remembered to start recording this episode. My original intention with this podcast was to make it sound like an informal chat in a pub, and Max, being the dutiful friend that he is, has certainly helped. However, this has led me to edit out some of my swearing and most of my random tangents. This podcast isn't about me, it's about my guests. I may release the cuts as bonus content somewhere, someday. However, today is not that day. Today, we are talking about Max's writing process. Mostly. Here's how it went. Hello, and welcome to The Real Writing Process. This week, my guest is Max Turner. Hi, Max. Hello. Hello. My first question is always, what are we drinking? Today, we are drinking Bulmer's crushed red berries and lime cider from a bottle. Very no glasses, no, no ice. No, we're wearing glasses. We're not drinking from glasses. Um, <laughs> and we've, we've gone very cosmopolitan and we're drinking a, a cider from Hereford. Um, <laughs> not yeah, from it's definitely branching out from the Somerset region. <laughs> it's a guilty pleasure in the being from the West Country. I wouldn't normally admit to drinking Balmers, no. but it's a, it's a fruity little number. We'll go with it. And this isn't your regular drink whilst writing, I gather. No, I, I tend to drink a lot more kind of cocktail-y type things. Whilst writing? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Aperol spritz is my tend to be my drink of choice or if it's Christmas I'll go for a snowball but yeah I I've mentioned to you before I have a liver condition now so I'm not meant to be drinking so this is a treat now this is a a Saturday night treat excellent I I am enjoying this treat it's not one that I drink regularly either but again I I must admit it, it is very sweet and very fruity anyway where were we oh yes we're talking about writing and where you're sat now it uh, looks like a conservatory it has a lot of windows and this is your writing space at home yes this is my office so I yeah I moved a few months ago and I volunteered to have the smallest room in the house if I could have the conservatory mm-hmm. so it's full of bookcases and plants and it's got a good energy a bit bright sometimes hence the canopy and yeah, it's a nice, comfortable space, actually. And now, obviously, I've been, I've, I've been working from home as well since the start of the pandemic. I just, it's nice to have somewhere to do that without hurting my back. Because <laughs> I'm old. A, a dedicated workspace, <laughs> yeah, is very good. And are you a person that does their writing mainly during the day, during the night, first thing in the morning, or just as and when? Never, ever first thing in the morning. That's insane that you should even think that nothing pre-coffee is happening in my life but no usually I'm I'm usually more so in the evening Mm -hmm. partly because I'm a single parent so my kid is in bed Mm -hmm. I can just carry on for the most part I do tend to be a bit more creative in the evening as well I'm more easily distracted during the day like I'll just suddenly decide that oh I actually I need to go and do some stuff on my website or do my taxes or something yeah. like I'm just I just start to procrastinate a little bit during the day unless I just start force myself to write and then get into the flow mm. but no otherwise I, I could write anytime anywhere as long as I'm not meant to be doing something else parenting yes. or working in yes. my my actual day job yes and with your writing because uh, it's predominantly short stories yes. uh, what grabs you about an idea that you go I think this is actually Rather than just a fun, whimsical idea, this is actually something I want to develop into a story. Do you start with a character, a scenario, some kind of world-building element? What is it that generally grabs you first when you're developing a story? I would say 
I, I think it does vary, but I would say for the most part for me, it's probably the world building. Mm. And I think that comes from the fact that the genres I write most in are speculative fiction, science fiction and horror. So a lot of it comes from the idea of, right, what is this world? You know, what if it's especially if it's speculative fiction it is mm. what is happening in this world? Why is this world the way it is? I'm a huge fan of world building. I'm one of these people that will literally spend four pages of exposition of like this world, da, 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 and that, you know, in the first draft and then go back and edit it and be like, God, yeah. sh- shut the fuck up, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, am I allowed to swear on here? I just realized. Absolutely, oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's just a habit being West Country. Um, <laughs> you know. I, I put a language warning on all of them, whether they're swearing or not. It's just, yeah, I know my audience. It's uh, (laughs) fair. But yeah, so I think for me, sometimes I will come up with the idea of a character and just be like, oh, okay, where can I put them? But for the most part, it is world building. And especially when writing for specific anthology submission calls, or I, I also published quite a bit in like online journals and magazines and things like that quite often the ones that attract me the most are the ones that have a theme for that particular issue and so you know I'll write to that theme and that then tends to be the world building if you're writing for a theme of something it tends to be the world building that you're creating first and that suits me so well because I absolutely love I'm obsessed with world building absolutely actually I want to touch on that with um, writing submissions then it's very much you'll see uh, that there's a call for stories and you're right you tend to write more to the brief rather than looking at some unpublished stories and saying do, do any of that um, fit yeah it's, it's a combination I think that I do sometimes I'll look at a call and I'll just be like oh I have the perfect story for that that I, I could just polish off and blow the dust off and just bring it back out of mothballs mm. but with others it will be a case where I'll see a submission call and I'll just think oh my god that sounds fantastic and I'm one of these people, I, I am pretty, what's the word? I, I was optimistic in life. I'm a pretty happy yeah. person. So I tend to be quite philosophical about it and just, well, if I don't get in, I will have written a story that I would have really enjoyed writing yeah. and that will hopefully get placed somewhere else, if not in that publication, because I've enjoyed the prompt that they've given. Yeah. So it, it that does tend to inspire me quite a bit if I see a submission call with a prompt that really catches my eye, then yeah, I'll happily write away for it. So do you find that you're more productive and more driven on a self-created story, one that's on the whim of your own idea, or do you find you're more creative and determined if there's a deadline and it's for a specific project? Oh my God, I'm just going to come back every time with, it depends. I am really one of these kind of like, I'm just one of these people that that just goes with the flow. I think that there is something to be said for like the creative freedom of just coming up with your own story and just writing that. And I will do that sometimes because I'll have an idea that I want to explore, which sometimes may have come from a prompt, you know, from a submission call. And I think, well, I don't really want to do that, but it's given me another idea for a different story that I'm going to write, which wouldn't fit that call, but I'll, I'll write it and I'll put it in my little back catalogue. But I think I am more creative to a point when it's for a call because I'll have had to have really wanted to do the prompt. I'll have had to have seen that and been like, yes, I have something in my head that will fit that. I have something that I want to do for that. And then other times, as you say, with the deadline, then that is a motivator, obviously. But there are other times where, you know, like quite recently there's there's a sort of almost at burnout and gone, okay, do you know what? Although I am really enjoying writing this story, I'm just going to have to stop and forget about that particular submission call and maybe come back to the story another day for a different call that it might fit because I just am going to burn out if I keep on. So I think, yeah, I think it, it with creativity, it tends to be, there are many other factors going on, yeah. but yeah. And with your world building being your favourite part or you know, sort of the thing that draws you into the story, as a speculative fiction writer, do you do much research or do you like to just use your imagination? And if you do research, do you have certain places that you like to go to mm. research things? Are there certain publications, for example? Yeah, I um, I love research. I 
have a BA and an MA in archaeology. So I am very much a research driven person, you know. Yeah. So it, it does depend on the story and what the story calls for. But especially if it's something that's not something that I'm hugely familiar with already through anything else I've ever done, I will spend a bit of time researching and looking up usually, yeah, things to do with world building and things that I can adapt from my stories. For example, at the minute, like the, I seem to have bookmarked a lot of websites about cryptids. So that's something that, you know, I've been revisiting quite a bit in a lot of stories I've written recently. But I think that it's one of those kind of double-edged swords because then I think if something needs too much research, it depends on what it is, but it can put me off. So for example, that's why I do not write like hard sci-fi because I do not have the background, the science background to pull that off. And I don't have, I don't have it in me to like, you know, make the the dedication to the sort of research that would take. And I do really appreciate that with authors of really hard sci-fi, but it is just like being able to base that in the scientific fact of reality yeah. is not something that comes naturally to me because it's not something that I've ever studied a great deal. Yeah. And I think that the research it would take would be beyond me. So I tend to just know my limits. Yeah. If I start researching something and then go, oh, do you know what? Actually, no, that's just not going to work. <laughs> that's not going to work for me. <laughs> and also I want to, with the such an academic background in research, in archaeology, do you find yourself very organized with your research? Do you have lots of files and folders and notes everywhere? Or is it just that, you know, you just absorb it in your brain and then it just mashes itself into a story? I do have a lot of folders full of yeah. stuff and I do have a lot of shelves full of books uh, so, no. and a lot of notebooks. So I think it's it, it does also go into the mind and kind of swirl around for a bit and you let it percolate and it kind of then comes together and to, to make the story richer. But definitely I do end up just bookmarking things or saving things to documents and into loads of folders and everything just so that I've got the reference material to go back yeah. to. Yeah, I definitely find that helpful. But again, I think that I, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's always necessary for every writer to do that. Mm -hmm. But I think that if that is something that you enjoy doing as well, then it can be really good fun. Mm -hmm. So I get a lot of out of researching for stuff because if I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother writing it. No, absolutely. I I'm a bit of a hedonist that way. <laughs> <laughs> no. What are your challenges at the beginning of writing? Which bits don't you enjoy? I guess like the, the two big things we haven't mentioned are the, the actual plotting, um, but also characterization and character. Yeah, so if, are any of those bits um, challenging or is you just love it all? I think actually the hardest thing for me is naming characters. I know this is like a little bit off, but actually I think that's the thing I struggle with is I'll start writing and then I'll be like a page in, like really going for it. And then this other character comes in and I've now got to name them. And I will literally then sit in front of a name generator for two hours, um, trying to find the perfect name for this character. And it just destroys all of my productivity. And again, that's the problem with writing sci-fi and stuff like that. Cause you know, it's like, I can't give them a normal name. I need to go and find like a really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Phil the Martian. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I think that I don't tend to struggle with characterization. I hope. I hope I don't. I don't know. You'd have to ask my readers. Yeah. I, I think I'm okay with that. But with the plotting and, and what have you, I think that I'm one of these really annoying people that is equal parts plotter and pantser. You know, I'll, I'll sort of, some stuff I will just like, plot out to the nth degree and other stuff I'm just flying by the seat of my pants and just you know and sometimes in the same story it's a little bit like chaos but it comes together in the end yes people don't tend to associate outlines with short stories but mm. again I think if, if you are writing to a theme or a brief you, you do need an outline yeah um, absolutely and actually especially like for example um with horrors i've been writing a lot of horror lately mm. and that's something that it's not just about having the characters in the story and the, the plot and the world building it is also it's got to have a specific beat to it you know you've got to have the plot points in the right places you've got to have the tension yeah. so it's all very well to have the idea and the great characters but if you don't 
build the tension in the right way then it's not a, it's not a horror story so it's something like because I never really thought of myself as a horror writer <laughs> in the past and I think that I get away with it a little bit by mixing it with speculative fiction mm. um, or science fiction and I think that really helps because then it doesn't have to be as scary in some ways but by the same token I'm trying to build up what I write in horror I'm trying to find my own voice in it. Mm. And I mentioned to you before, the uh, recently had a story, short story published in a anthology called Bodies Full of Burning, which is a anthology of menopause themed horror stories. So the majority of the writers are female, there's some non-binary writers, and there's myself, who I'm a, a trans man. And my idea of horror is taking the extreme of what it is to be a transgender person today. And so, you know, my story in that anthology is about somebody who is forcibly made to have their hysterectomy reversed by the government because the government has decided to reverse all transitions. And as a parent, I'm always terrified that being transgender, somebody one day is going to say, right, well, we're going to now take your child away from you because you're transgender, which feels like an extreme thing to say. But when, you know, you live this existence... (laughs) Yeah, and you read the kind of stuff that people put on the internet and especially like on Twitter and places like that and you read the anti-trans sentiment and the fact that the the current government in the UK is anti-trans, essentially, as individuals and as a uh, body. It is terrifying that will this one day happen? And so, you know, that then feeds into my stories because I'm looking at stories that are horrific from the point of view of a trans person. And the hope is that the readership wouldn't necessarily be trans. It would be anybody reading that and kind of going, wow, that's fucking terrifying. Yeah. I don't want that to happen to me. And, it, and it's no, neither do I. <laughs> yeah, there the, is that heightened level of horror when it's plausible. The horror isn't from some you know, other dimensional being, but it's just the darkest elements of humanity. Um, yeah, absolutely. You think about there's definitely some horror aspects in 1984 and Mm. the most horrifying things about it is how they feel they're doing it for the common good and it's just humanity look across history and the horrible things that have been done in the name of religion and Mm. again good versus evil and it's unequivocally objectively evil oh but we're doing it with good intentions it's like no you're just absolutely (laughs) yeah and yeah and it is scary to think that's still a possibility that you know sort of like horrific human on human violence is still a Mm. thing that we deal with today and you'd hope that empathy would win out but it doesn't and yeah i always have this thing that no one believes that evil that you know sort of in an abstract way there is no such thing as evil just different points of view which is an unpleasant thing to say, but yeah, people will do evil things when they feel they're justified. It's, yeah, that is, that is a, a very valid form of horror. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was just like, just destroy the mood. Take yeah. another drink. Drink. Uh, <laughs> but apologize to everybody <laughs> for bringing the mood down. Yeah. So once you have in mind the story that you wish to write, as a single parent and as a person with a day job, how do you discipline yourself to get the words on the page? I have, I try to write a thousand words a day. That is my goal. It doesn't always happen. And I'll sometimes average it out and just be like, well, I got to the end of this week and I didn't write a thousand a day. So I'll just do more today to make up for other days. I think what helps is that I usually, because I do write short stories, I tend to be working on several at once. And it's easier for me to maintain a, a good workflow by having that number, because then if I start to grind to a halt on one, or I'm just not feeling it that night, I can switch to a different work in progress and carry on with that one instead. You know, so I might work on four in one evening. Okay. I think that really helps me because then I, I, I don't ever stop. I'm still moving forward 
Whereas I think that never used to be my process. Years and years ago, my process was, yeah, I'm just going to write this story until it's done and then move on to the next. But then you're eager to get to the next one. So you you can lose a bit of love for the one you're working on because you just want to move on. And so the second you hit anything, you know, you kind of like a little bit of a, oh, I'm not really sure what to do in this next scene. I'm not really sure how I want it to play out or... I had wanted to do it this way, but now I don't know if that's actually going to fit quite as well as I'd planned. Then that's it. It's like game over. The productivity just is gone. So for me, I found that working on lots of little things at once just makes me more productive. As I said before, I, I tend to write more in the evenings. So it is just a case of, right, what am I going to look at today? I have two different lists on my computer of deadlines and so I'll look at right which ones are the ones that are due this month which ones are the calls that are coming out this month or which ones am I writing for my Patreon this month and then I will just choose one of those to work on and then just keep going if I like I said if I sort of wear out on one I go to the next one and so on so it it works well for me I know not for everybody but it works well for me one of the things that sort of is curious about that system is does it help if they're in a kind of similar kind of genre? So at the moment you're writing horror, but you also write sci-fi. So does it help to have a couple of horrors on the go and it's just like, this one's not working, but because I'm in the horror vibe, I'm going to try this one? Or is it a flip side where it's more like I've, I've had enough of horror, I need to work on something of a completely different genre? Yeah, I think it is probably more a mixture of genres. I... Um... I do you know what, I don't I can't remember the last time where I was actually writing a lot that were all this very similar. So even and because obviously spec fic is so broad. Mm. So even when I was writing, say, might have had maybe four spec fics that I was writing at the same time, so vastly different in the sort of world building and what they were about, that it does t- tend to change it up. And I think, yeah, maybe that does actually help because I'm almost setting like a, a reset button in my brain of, OK, I've been working on this, but I've worn out, going to move on to this other one that is so vastly different that it's like the spark reignites. I I can't say that it wouldn't work writing lots of similar things, but I don't, I can't recall the last time I actually was in a position to do that because they're even, because they're just so different, the actual stories, even if they're similar genres. And I suppose that allows you the luxury of sometimes you can just sit down and go, what am I in the mood to write on? Which one am I in the mood to focus on? Yeah, that is, I would say that's almost the biggest thing that dictates it. Sometimes it could be that I'm in the mood for something. So like I might move from horror to horror or what have you, because that's what I'm in the mood for. And I'm doing a lot of horror calls at the moment, but that's because I like the prompts that I've seen. And I think, yeah, I could write something for that. That that looks really interesting. I've got a story that I can tell for that. Yeah, I think that it, it then gets you in the headspace for it. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's definitely a, a mixed bag. Yeah. No, and I think that can also help when you know there's bits where you're struggling, the sort of those uninspired bits, you can maybe just start something new and just start working, planning things yeah. out. But do you ever get to a point with your writing where you just think you're a terrible writer? That imposter syndrome <laughs> suddenly takes hold and you go, What am I doing? I don't understand language yeah (laughs) you know i I don't know how letters get together and how do you deal with that if that hits you i have to say i i don't think that's hit me for years and i think that writing fan fiction actually hammered that out of me Hmm. i might be working on a story where i'm part way through it and especially if it's for a submission call where i kind of go do you know what this actually isn't working or it's not really coming together for this particular call I think I'm going to put a pin in it or start over again and maybe see what I can salvage from that draft. So I I would definitely say there are times where I'm writing a story where I go, my God, this is shit. What am I doing? But on the whole, I don't think I'm the, this is going to sound really conceited. I I don't think I'm the most amazing writer in the world, but I think the one thing that it taught me, as I say, writing fan fiction and seeing Fanfic writers get in their head a lot about this and will be tweeting constantly about, oh, the latest thing I wrote was so bad. And and I think what it actually does is a massive disservice to your readers. And I hate that. I don't ever want to do that. I don't want to ever believe that my writing is bad 
and actually, you know, and especially say it out loud, because what I'm saying then is that all these people that have said to me, oh, I really enjoyed that one story you wrote. I'm saying, actually, you're wrong because it was shit and I'm terrible. Do you know what I mean? So whilst I understand that feeling and I have had it myself in the past many years ago, I think I sort of trained myself out of it. And I'm, I'm an optimistic person. I'm a fairly joyful person, thanks to the meds. But I do feel that if you don't enjoy writing, why are you writing? If you don't love it, why are you doing it? And the readers can feel that love. And I feel like if you think you're shit at it, then the readers are going to sense that as well. Um, and especially if you say out loud that you're shit at it, you're actually shitting on your readers and saying, you shouldn't be reading my stuff because it's shit. And somebody might be thinking, actually, I loved that story. That was the best thing I'd read in each. I really connected with it. It really resonated with me. But now you as the writer are telling me that I'm an idiot. So I do get a little bit passionate about that. <laughs> about that. Um, <laughs> I want to say I 100% agree. You do sound really conceited. So... <laughs> Um, I just think, like I said, there's clearly individual stories that I write where I go, nah, this is terrible. What are you doing? And I'll scrap them or I'll redraft them or whatever. But I just think on the opposite side of that as well is that am I then being a dick to everyone that's published me? Mm. You know, if I'm saying oh, I'm a bad writer, I'm saying that everyone has published me as an idiot and I've managed mm. to take them for a mug. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it is just whilst I completely understand where that comes from. And I really feel for people that actually do feel that because I don't think there's a choice in feeling that. And I don't think that it's something, you know, you can say, you know, snap out of it. It is a state of mind you get in and it's an easy state of mind to get in. And I think that sometimes there can be other issues that need to be dealt with alongside it in, in terms of self-esteem and various other things. But I think that for me personally, I went through that years ago with fan fiction and came out the other side primarily because I realized that if I was starting to say that oh no my stuff is shit and yet I'm writing for example a lot of stories with transgender characters and having a lot of readers contact me and say to me how much that resonates with them mm. and how much they got out of it I cannot say then well I'm a bad writer because even if that was like the worst written shit ever something in it connected with them and I don't want to take that away from them yeah that's my view on it. <laughs> Absolutely. And that leads me on, you know, I'm glad you said that uh, uh, in the way that you did, because I really want to talk about your fan fiction, because when we first mm. met, it was something that you were really just developing. So it was after your novel, then you were getting mm. short stories and you were getting into fan fiction and getting yeah. this success and getting this recognition. And I'm really interested in you telling the listeners how that started because a lot of people may write fan fiction and just keep it for themselves mm. but you went very public with it and uh, how, how yeah. did that start and, and how did that evolve i had written fan fiction many years ago before i realized that's what it was mm. but also i mean i was i was writing stories back in the day when i was much younger when i was a teenager i'd be writing stories for myself and i would see on the back of various different Star Trek publications where they would say, don't forget to send your stories into us. This was back in the day where they used to actually, both for scripts for the shows and for the novels, they would put out calls and just be like, we essentially just want your versions, which is essentially fan fiction. Yeah. So I had always grown up with that kind of idea and not even realized that it was what we would call fan fiction. Mm. And then I didn't write for many years. I stopped writing after my novel and it was because of, I lost the balance and I basically spent so much time promoting and trying to get people interested in- Because you trying published to... your novel. I did. And so obviously there is that element that comes with it. But then I, you know, I got to the point where I was then also like, okay, do you know what? Everyone's saying this is really good. I should try and get an agent. I should try and get a deal. And then the amount of time that I spent trying to do that. And I'm not a salesperson. I don't, I'm not interested in doing this. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't getting any joy out of it. And so then I end up 90% of my writing time is actually spent promoting and 10% is writing, but I'm too tired to really do anything. So I stopped enjoying writing. And so I stopped writing. And 
we met around the time when I'd actually just started writing again. And the reason I'd started writing again was because I got into fan fiction properly. You know, I'd left behind like the sort of Star Trek stuff that I'd done many years ago. And I basically had reached a point in my life where, I don't know, I think I was very creatively needing an outlet. I, I was a performer for many years and a show producer of Burlesque. And so I had a creative outlet with that and it still wasn't everything I needed because I've always written. I've written since I was old enough to know how to write. I've written stories. I used to buy little notebooks and write a story the exact length of that notebook because that's how I thought books were made. Yeah. You're just given a set number of pages and you have to fit the story in. So they always had very speedy endings. And I think I just fell into fandom and specifically it was uh, the show Hannibal mm. and shout out to the Fannibals who are really just some of the most generous and creative people that I've ever met in my life. And I, I was just really inspired by it. And then I started reading fan fiction, which again, like wasn't something I'd done for years and I hadn't really thought about it. And I was just blown away by the quality, the passion and I just I was like just inspired by the other writers in the fandom so I started writing fan fiction again and that was the end of 2015 I think and so then I just prolifically write in that and I still do I actually I have a patreon that is just for people to read my stories in advance my fan fiction stories in advance and I publish a new story or chapter weekly and it's something that I still do alongside my everyday writing because I love it and I love the community there and it gives me something I never got out of the writing community that I tried to join when I wrote my novel mm. and I think it was just because I didn't find the right people for me I didn't find as you said earlier my tribe yeah and with fan fiction I have and, and now I'm, I'm very good friends with several other fanfic writers who publish my friend Reggie and I have been in some of the same publications and that's been a fantastic experience so it's just one of those things that kind of I think I know people talk about oh how can fan fiction can hone your skills and do all these different things but I think that there is also the community aspect of it yeah. and what inspired me to start trying to get back into sort of original publishing again in many respects was when you know, I started transitioning and I would write my feelings invariably into fan fiction. And so I wrote a lot of fan fiction about transgender, about characters that I would switch out to be transgender, obviously not transgender in canon. So I would write, OK, well, what would happen to this character if they were actually transgender? And I would write those stories. And the response that I got from readers in the fandom was so overwhelming and resonated with them so much that I was just like, okay, why are we reading? Why do we have to go to fan fiction for this? Yeah. Why can't we have this in the mainstream? Yeah. And so that is why most of my stories, whether they're horror, spec fic, sci-fi, they always still also have a queer element because I just need that to be out there. I need yeah. to put that queer bent on it, yeah. as it were. Well, it's the power of representation and it should yeah. never be, you know, sort of underestimated having someone that is a mirror image someone that this is a person like me in fiction mm -hmm. and it's very strong in the trans community because the mainstream is not there yet especially for trans masculine characters you know the vast majority of trans characters we do see in the mainstream are trans feminine yeah. which is also a double-edged sword because half the time they're not portrayed in a very good way no. when we do see representations and again I'm going to plug Disclosure, if you haven't seen it, it's a Netflix documentary yeah. that I really recommend, which is specifically about the representation of trans people in television and film, but goes for all kind of creative, to, uh, creative fiction, really. But yeah, I think, and even just and going to sort of like racial representations as well, I just recently watched the Midnight Mass I don't know I, if you've... I've, it's on my to watch this. I haven't started watching it yet, but Mike Flanagan, his stuff's just incredible. Yeah, it is really fantastic. And there's actually the actor in Midnight Mass, Rahul Kohli, who yeah. plays the Muslim character. He was putting on Twitter the other day about some people were sort of like thirst tweeting, like, oh, he's hot and da-da-da. And a couple of people 
called it out and we're like oh that's object friendly and he replied to it and he was like actually I'm fine with it in fact I encourage it because people don't sexualize brown men in this mm. way and why not why aren't we being so it is it's that idea of representation being more than just them being there and representing whether yeah. it be a race or religion or a gender or a sexuality yeah, yeah. It, it's not just having it as tokenism but actually having it yeah. as a desirable person in yeah exactly it will get there because you look back you know 30 40 years you know and how homosexuality was a perversion that wasn't al legally allowed to be taught in mm. schools in the uk it was illegal to promote mm. homosexuality in this country when we were children yes and, I remember. <laughs> and now we have knights of the realm who are openly gay and yeah. it's just so the establishment canon will change transphobia in the current age is something that is is clearly negative and those who excuse it or are proud of it are clearly in the wrong as portrayed in the press they're not people mm. who are lauded as champions of virtue but also we have to remember that trans people aren't portrayed as home life in the mainstream conversation mm. but clearly the important thing that will help the argument is portrayals in art and yeah. that's what's lacking and portrayals in art at the moment can be highly problematic i think as well that's why there's a lot of conversations that come back to in the creative community about un own voices yeah and I think I think there is a line with it because I have seen like a lot of arguments for and against. And I think it, in some circles it's fallen out of favour. And I think that it depends on the story you're trying to tell, because I don't think that you have to be transgender to ha write a transgender character. Mm. But I do think you have to have had transgender experience to write a story about somebody's transgender experience. There's nothing wrong with having a character in your book or story that is different to you for whatever reason, whether it is religion or race or gender or sexuality, as long as you're not speaking for them in the sense that you're giving them a voice mm. that you actually don't have any basis for. Yeah. I think it's that difference between having a character who, or, or for example, you know, I, I've noticed like a, a lot of actors have been talking about it recently. It's come up now and again in the last year or so about whether straight people should play gay characters. Mm. And I've seen a lot of actors have drawn the, the line, the definition there of, I'll play a character if they happen to be gay, but I'm not gonna play a character who the story is about them being gay. Mm. Because the distinction there being, there's a difference between playing a character who is just your everyday person, but happens to be gay. And however that's portrayed in the you know, yeah. fiction that it's in, and actually playing a character who is going through the experience of their sexuality, the journey of their sexuality, yes. when that's not something you have any knowledge or background on. We wouldn't, again, we wouldn't ever expect a white actor to play someone's black experience or not <laughs> these days. Um, hopefully yeah. it, it comes down to the same sort of lines as that, but then you still have actors out there who apparently can play anything, including trees. So there we are, you never know. <laughs> well, yeah. There's more nuance to it, but I think the important thing is to not step over other people's voices. Yeah. So if you've got a, I, I saw somebody put it really well the other day on Twitter. I can't remember who it was, but basically saying along the lines of think about what you're writing and whether it's your story to tell. You know, and I think that's what it comes down to for me is if you want to go and write a transgender character, great. If you want to, you know, oh, I want some representation. Okay, great. Why are you writing that? Are you doing that as a token or are you doing that in a meaningful way for a start? But also, as I say, you know, what what aspects are you actually writing? And if you're trying to write a person's transgender experience, are you the best person to be writing that? Not just from a qualification point of view, but are you taking away a spot from a transgender writer who would yeah. be writing that experience from an authentic place. And I think it comes back to the having, when you say that you're inclusive as a publisher, really making that uh, real, yeah. because it's very easy to say that you're inclusive as a publisher and take all the submissions you can get, but then still only publish cis het white men. Yeah. 
which happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where horror as a genre for us, yeah, especially, I, I would say also science fiction and spec fic to a degree, but certainly horror as a genre and especially within film has really pu- you know pushed boundaries on that. It always brings me back to the casting of Alien, where you know that was cast pretty much blind all those characters were written with just their surnames none of them were written with we are looking for a male or female actor so they just cast it based on the actors and so then you end up with Ripley who's one of the most iconic female characters that we've ever known and that was the late 70s so it's doable we can do this it's we should be further along than we are when you when you look at things like that yeah can we hurry up please (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, can we get on with it? Though I just saw that somebody sent me the other day the new cast, or would have been yesterday, the casting news about the Hellraiser remake. Is it a remake where they actually, is it going to be another? Yeah, Yeah, I'm not sure. But it's Jamie Clayton, who was in Sense8. She's a transgender actress. And she's going to be playing Pinhead. Yeah, so I was like, so I was actually really happy to scroll through on that because I was like expecting the inevitable dude bros of, you've ruined my childhood. The usual crying yeah. into their no, cup. It, I haven't seen her in anything else. Um, Absolutely phenomenal. In fact, again, she was one of the people interviewed in Disclosure, so I do recommend that documentary. Yeah. But yeah, I'm really interested to see what sort of take they have on it. But I did see like almost all the comments that I saw on Twitter were so positive. They were like, yeah, this is fantastic. She's great. And ripping the piss a little bit out of the people that do have a problem with it. And uh, yeah, which was nice. That's comforting. That's nice. It's nice when you get outweighed by the positive reception of the casting of a transgender person, because it doesn't always happen. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so getting back to your writing, so do you actually have your own beta readers for your short stories, or because of fandom, you know, has that just given you the confidence in your voice to to the point it is now, or do you still have people that you like feedback for before it goes off to an editor or submission? It varies. I think there are some where I write them and I think I do a couple of passes on it, and I think, yeah, that's okay, that's good to go, and I've not had any difficulties with that yet there are others where I'm just like I'm not sure this has quite come together as I wanted it to um so I might get one of my friends to look at it who's also a writer but if it's something where I really just think I think it's more a case of there's been a couple of stories that I've really thought were really good like that I feel like I've got something with this they're saying something and there's something to them that's really good and I really want to get them out there but they've been rejected like two or three times from different places so then I'm like okay then I call my friend Sarah (laughs) who's a professional editor (laughs) and then I pay her some money (laughs) and she she has a look at it so yeah I do that but a lot of the ones a lot of the places that I've been accepted to, they have their own processes and they have their own editing team. So what they'll do is obviously they want, you know, it to come over as polished as you can get it. Mm. But then a lot of them aren't that fussed because they'll have their own editorial voice that they'll want to, they want it to come across a certain way. Then I get the red pen version back. And I look at it sometimes and I think, oh my God, there was so much shit wrong with this. But a lot of it is just down to, I can see why they want it in a certain way. Mm. And I think actually it's something that's made me stronger as a writer. The heavier handed an editor is with me, the more I learn uh, about writing. So I don't have any formal training in writing. I took one and a half modules of a creative writing course many years ago between my BA and my master's. And the second module was poetry, so I left, which is no disrespect to any poets, but I just, I don't get it. It's never going to be a a thing that I get. I was just paying too much money to try to do poetry for six weeks. Mm. So I left. I did okay in school Mm -hmm. with English language. I think it was the only subject I got an A in, Mm -hmm. but... 
I learned a lot more when I went to university. And I remember my very first essay that I handed in came back with all the red pen over it. And I got quite a high grade. And my professor was just like, I want to see you in my office. So I went and I had this meeting with the professor who was just like, I've given you this grade because what you've written is spot on. It's great. It's really gets to the the meat of it. But your grammar is atrocious. And he literally gave me this back with all the red pen in the world. And that was the day I learned the difference between a colon and a semicolon from my archaeology professor. It's, I think, writing and and learning these things, I think there's always more to learn Mm. and you should always be open to learning. So every time anything comes back to me from an editor, whether it be my own editor or an editor from a publication that I'm going to be in, I I take it very seriously. And there are some bits, it's easy to get butthurt. You can look at the first pass and go, oh shit, they find so much wrong with this. But then you go back to it and you're like, oh, but no, it's fair. (laughs) I need to be better. So so you've had a fairly good experience with editors, but I feel that's also down to your approach of they're there to help. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, because like I have heard horror stories in the past about editors and now having been on the other side of it quite a lot this year and having the red pen drafts come back. And I can see how easy it would be for people who have a certain mindset or maybe are a little bit more fragile to look at that and really take it to heart and really not be OK with it and almost maybe even be offended on some level by it. But I think that you have to just really look at it as a learning experience, as they're just trying to help get the best out of you. And I can definitely say that, for example, like the manuscript that I've been editing recently, which is for a novella that's going to be coming out in December, very heavy-handed editor, but she leaves detailed notes as to why she's edited certain things Mm -hmm. in certain ways. And it's just all learning that's I'm like I get you some of it is just her personal preference as an editor but she's the editor for that publication so that's up to her I'm not that precious about it Mm. and I think there's only been a few times where I push back and say actually for me that bit is integral so I'm not I really need to understand why you want to change it yeah and I'm not happy to for example I think I've only had that really a couple of times where I've gone no I don't agree with that change because that bit means this and then it's just a case of oh, okay you need to make that clearer in the text then yeah it's a partnership you're both trying to get the best end product essentially yeah. I guess if on a personality level you don't work out then that's going to be difficult but so far luckily I've not come across that myself and for you what makes a good editor which ones do you respond uh, most strongly with because you've, you've said the words heavy-handed there do you, do you like someone who you know, ask questions of you, then gives examples of how they think it should be better or, yeah, yeah. What is a good editor for you? Yeah, I actually, I don't mind how they edit it. What I need is the communication. What I need is a a good comment about why they think that should be changed. And then most of the time I do agree with them. So I think that's what it comes down to with probably anything in life is it's about communication. Yeah. (laughs) And just the last few questions. And thank you so much for this evening. It's been great. It's been lovely catching up because we've been trying to meet up for like ever. Yes. But yeah, <laughs> but it's so I just want to say, because I, I have this belief that writers grow and develop their writing with every story that they write. And can you think of anything of something that you've recently finished or published that you learnt that you're now applying to the things you're currently writing? Yeah, I think that, again, for me, that has come from editors and because I just learn from other people it's hard to learn from yourself unless you're making a mistake you know um and that was I would say there was a the last couple of stories that that I've had edited just again just thinking about how I structure sentences sometimes and so it's quite a practical lesson but it is something where it's come back on a couple of edits from two different people and I've gone that I clearly need to think more about how I'm structuring certain sentences and so that stuck with me because it has made me think when I do my own read through 
I'll, once I finish the first draft, I'll, I'll do a couple of passes on it after that. And that's where I'm now keeping that in mind and going through and thinking to myself, does that sentence need to be reworded? Does that need to come across slightly differently? And uh, yeah, and I think that makes it me a stronger writer in that sense. And I think that, again, it's all about being open to learning. And it's something that I take from everything that's been edited or even just feedback. Like I said, my friend Reggie sometimes reads my stuff if I'm mm. not completely sure that it's working out, but yeah. but it's not something I want to get fully edited at this stage. Mm. She'll read through it and give some sort of, you know, hints and tips that I hadn't thought of. We're just very different writers, but we write similar um, stories. So it's nice because then she's looking at it with a fresh pair of eyes. And sometimes that's what you need is just somebody else to suggest, oh, what about if you did it this way? So, yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that you learn constantly in that respect. And I think it is just putting that in. It it does make you a stronger writer if you're open to learning those things. Because, again, it is easy for you to think, oh, that editor was really heavy handed and I'll, I'll just suck it up and say, yes, this is all fine, but actually you're resisting it and you're not learning anything from it for the next time. And of all the things that you've learnt through your writing career, is there one sort of piece of advice you've been given or that you've read or that an editor told you that really resonated to the point that you still think of it when you're right now is there one piece of advice that you consciously are aware of that you still apply to your writing yeah I think I it's not so much a a quote or anything like that but it's just something a general feeling I guess that came again from my background in fan fiction Mm. and that is to enjoy it Mm. because it's very easy. I, I, it's it's sometimes difficult for people that aren't in fandoms or are, are in fandoms but not on the creative side to realise the culture that surrounds fan fiction, how it functions. One of the things is the writers are very prone to putting a lot of pressure on themselves mm-hmm. to produce. And they're not getting any reward for it necessarily, other than people's comments and likes and so it it can be difficult because you can get into this mindset of oh but I've got to keep they need they want the next chapter especially if you're getting a lot of positive comments or even if you're getting a lot of comments that are saying when are you going to update this next when are you going to update this next some fanfic writers get really shitty comments to be honest that aren't deserved and I think that there's a breaking point that some of them get to where they're not enjoying it anymore and that's when I think you're in danger of really burning out but also really hurting yourself in terms of you're going to lose this creative outlet you have that means a lot to you and is clearly a passion because you're doing it unpaid. And if you've stopped enjoying it, then you get to that point where it's no longer going to be that in your life. And then that's a massive loss. That's a massive loss of, it's not just a hobby. It's something that they are passionate about. They have built an identity in the fandom around. They have made friends through. So it is part of a, a culture in a way. Yeah. So I think that's always been really important to me is make sure you're enjoying it. And if you stop enjoying it, if you even think that I'm starting to not enjoy this now, look at it. Why aren't you? Is it this particular story? Or is it something bigger? Is it something you can deal with? Do you need to step back for a bit and have some time off? Do you need to avoid some burnout? Do you need to reprioritize where writing is in your life? Just so that you don't have the amount of time for it anymore, but you don't want to give it up and now you're burning yourself out. Okay, how can I juggle everything around to make this work in the future? So I think that for me, that's what it's always been, is if you're not enjoying it, you need to look at why you're doing it. And if you're not enjoying it, and, and you should be, obviously, I, I don't understand why anyone would write if they don't enjoy it. I think it is a case of addressing that issue before it then takes something precious from your life. Because it's happened to me. I didn't write for years. And that wasn't necessarily down to the writing itself. That was everything else that goes around with, especially, as you say, being self-published, being your own promoter, and also just the rigmarole of trying to find an agent and trying to do all that kind of stuff and then realizing well actually do do I even really need one I can just start submitting to calls I don't need an agent for that so I think it is about having that balance and making sure you still enjoy it before you lose it 
before yeah. it's it's gone from your life and you have that massive creative hole which for some people like myself could be really detrimental to their health yeah but that's it that's a, a very poignant end to the interview but uh, thank <laughs> you so much max it's been great i will uh yeah your uh where people can find you in uh, the show notes and uh, thank you very much uh, for being on the show it's been a pleasure And that was The Real Writing Process of Max Turner. If you'd like to learn more about Max, you can find all of his details on his website, maxturneruk.com. You can also find Max on Twitter under the handle robot underscore tiger. The anthology we discussed on the show, Bodies Full of Burning, that includes Max's horror story, is out now, and a link is provided in the show notes. I'd also like to let you know that Max is part of the publication team for the bi-monthly anthology series, a Coop of Owls, and they will be open for short story submissions throughout December. So I'll leave a link in the show notes for that as well. Now, Max also asked that I give a couple of shout outs to his friend Reggie and his editor Sarah Boyd. So their details are also in the show notes. And for some reason, Max also sent me a wiki link about the documentary Disclosure that's on Netflix. But frankly, if you'd rather read a wiki article about a documentary instead of watch a documentary, I doubt you've listened this far. Uh, for everyone else, look it up on Netflix. I have faith in you that you'll find it. Anyway, until next time, everyone, or until the world ends. trusted friend or your sworn ally no it's the harshest mistress of all and life is just a chain a moment spent a thousand hellos and goodbyes maybe a love life it's Shift and pull up the tides Never